Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Do you remember these days? Do you, did this ever happen to you? This is why I don't miss these things. Give me Spotify or Pandora or, or iTunes any day of the week and twice on Sunday to avoid a mess like this. Yet I think about messes like this where everything comes unraveled and I begin to think that maybe this is one of the better parables, kind of metaphor to describe what this past year has felt like. Am I right? I mean, is this the way you feel in some way in your life? I mean, a year ago, before the pandemic and before everything that the pandemic brought on and into our lives, there was a script, wasn't there? I mean, a kind of recording in in your mind about how you thought the year was going to go, about what you expected to do and where you expected to go and who you expected to to share life with. and, And yet there's this unraveling, this kind of unwinding of the life that we had so neatly wound on our own. And in the midst of it all, I wonder if this was the year that you were supposed to graduate with a big party. Maybe this was the year that you moved off to school or or you, you popped the question. Maybe this was the year that you were going to retire, and it was, it just it looks so, so different in the script that you played in your head, right? And, and this is the way it feels. <laughs> what a mess. And yet, I don't think it's limited to our individual experiences. It's not just that lately, this past year has been a kind of year of unwinding, of unraveling from the inside, not just as individuals. But is this, is this church? Is, is, is this the way church feels for you? I mean, I talk to pastor friends of mine all the time, and almost without exception, there are, there's a story, one story after the next, about how either a member or a family in their church or maybe even the pastor herself or himself feels that that everything that we had come to to know and trust 
with familiarity in the church now has been kind of threatened or undone. And in many ways, all of the programs and systems upon which you and I came to rely and, and assume were unsinkable and monolithic and they would never go away. In this year, there's been an unraveling that has revealed to us. I mean, let's be honest about it, can we? Even before the pandemic, I mean, church engagement in almost every church that I know all across America was already on the decline. I mean, all of the, the programs, the ministries, the, the events that previously drew people of faith had already begun to see a, a disengagement. And now you throw pandemic onto it. And so what's a parent supposed to do to disciple their children or their teenager when there is no program to attend or no big event or no camp to send them to where it happens and they get back and everything's just fine? What now? In, in many ways, our discipling has felt like it's unraveled. But the good news is this. Problems like this, can absolutely be fixed. Maybe there was a part of our Christian journey that we've left neglected for some time. That maybe there is a part of our own individual journey with Christ that we have allowed to become kind of a codependent relationship upon the institution. So in a year in which the programs of the institution are put on pause, shut down, socially distanced, it kind of reveals a need that we have, a need that the church in America especially has. But when we think about the problems, it's, it's more than simply analyzing that we've had a hard year. It's more than simply describing the water in which we are drowning, right? But in many ways, messes like these, they, they can be fixed. They absolutely can be fixed. And if you were born either in or before the 1990s, you know exactly what it takes to fix a problem like this, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes to fix a problem that has become so unwound, what you need to do is rewind, maybe reset, renew realign, reinvigorate, right? And in so many ways, individually, relationally, socially, in some ways, all we have to do is reset or re-record or recalibrate our journey. But when it comes to a church, when it comes to a church that in many ways feels as if all of our systems and programs have become unwound, there's another word for it. It's a good word. It's a re-word. What we need is to revive. You know, the word revival is kind of a, an interesting word when you think about it. I mean, to be revived kind of implies that at one point um, you used to be vived and, and you lost your, your viveness. 
And then something happens and you, you were, were revived. In the church uh, over the years, to revive had something to do with an event, didn't it? In the years of revivals, uh, they were the days of the, the big tent with the big preacher, with the big hair, <laughs> with this big invitation to come and, and be renewed. At the heart of what it really means to revive, it, it means to live again. It means for something that had lost joy and peace and aliveness to actually be revived, to be resurrected. And in, in Scripture, well, even if the Bible doesn't use the word revive in the way that you and I use it from time to time, I mean, the sweeping theme of revive is all through Scripture. Individuals and groups and families and tribes and nations are all invited to to live again, when everything had come apart, to be put back together again. There is this amazing story in the book of Ezekiel. And this prophet is told by God to go and stand in the middle of this, this big valley. We call it the Valley of Dry Bones. Probably an old battlefield. Most likely a battlefield left over from just before the exile where the people tried to make one final stand. And now... Well, all that's left there in this great valley are dry bones. The remnant of all kinds of loss. The remnant of all kinds of pain and suffering and death. And the prophet stands right there in the middle of this valley. And God says to the prophet, he poses this question, Can these bones live again? That is the question that penetrates the hearts and minds of any person of faith who feels as if things have come unraveled, can I live again? And the answer is, yeah, you absolutely can. And throughout Scripture, even if the word revive is, is kind of tucked in, like it's like the wind that blows in the wheat. It may not be used literally, but it is there. The invitation to revive. But to revive always begins with another reword. If you want to be revived, you have to learn how to remember. Scripture, every time we come across an individual or a group or a, a tribe, a nation uh, that has the opportunity to live again, every time there is the invitation to revive, it's always preceded with an invitation to remember. Yeah. So there's this great moment in, in the book of Deuteronomy. And the people of Israel are actually preparing to, to enter into the promised land. They are, they are now at the end of their 40-year wilderness journey, camped in the plains of Moab, right? And Moses, in a final speech, calls them to do something. You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember 
what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that He might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And in 1 Chronicles, when David is, is bringing the Ark of the Covenant to put it back into the tent where it belongs, the writer of 1 Chronicles quotes Psalm 105 with these words, Remember the wondrous works that He has done. Remember them. His miracles and the judgments that He uttered. See, when we remember, it does something that, that enables us to to revive because remembering triggers something in us. I mean, it happened to the exiles. When, when the exiles were coming home, this is what the prophets asked them to do, to remember the days of old. This is what Jesus did on the last night before He was crucified. And He's gathered there with those who are closest to Him. And He breaks bread and He, and he pours wine. And he, he lets them know that where He's going, they cannot come and they will have difficult days ahead. They will have challenges, the likes of which they have never seen before. And he says, so therefore, when you do this, when you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. Remember me. See, when we remember, remembering triggers something in us that, that gives us the capacity to recall a time that was right and good and strong and hope-filled. So there are these two friends, John and Bill. They've been friends for years, and, and both of them knew that their memories were fading. Right? And John knew, most of all, he can't remember anything. It's not just his car keys, but he can't remember significant things from time to time. So he goes to this seminar where they teach him some tricks of the trade. They give him some memory techniques. And after a while, his memory actually begins to improve. He goes to his friend Bill and says, Bill, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but my memory really has improved. I, I don't forget as much as I used to forget. And Bill said, that's fantastic, John. Tell me all about it. And he says, yeah, they, they do this thing, this word association thing. They make you think of an image. And, and then it triggers something that you're trying to recall. And Bill said, well, that's, that's fantastic. I may want to attend a seminar like that. What, what's the name of the seminar? And John said, yeah, uh, yeah, let's see. The name of this, yeah, the name of this. Okay, hang on, hang on. Okay, so Bill, what, let me, what's the name of that flower, you know, the one with the long stem and like the red bulb at the end? And Bill said, a rose? And John said, yeah, that's it, that's it. And he turns to his wife and says, hey, Rose, what was the name of that seminar that we attended that I would have? <laughs> so, see, when we lose our memories a little bit as human beings, it's a little bit normal, right? It means we're human. Sometimes our memories begin to fade. But when a church loses its memory, when a people of faith don't remember, when a congregation forgets, that's when it's tragic. See, this, this bell hung in the belfry of a church called Corinth Baptist Church. Corinth Baptist was established in 1865. 
And for decades in the Shambly area of Atlanta, it, it served the needs of its community. And the world changed. In 1920, after World War I, there was an influx of, of wounded veterans who came to live in the area. And, and recognizing the shifting world and the shifting needs of the world, the Corinth Baptist Church, on the same year that Shambly Incorporated as a city, changed its name and became the Shambly Baptist Church. And they served the needs of those who were wounded and those who were hurting the needs of the community. They attempted to be the body of Christ for their age. And I imagine this bell tolling at every significant moment along the way, including 1960, when after World War II, there was an explosion of growth in the area. Populations just swelled and other churches began to pop up in the area. So they changed their name again to First Baptist Church of Shambly. And they did everything they could to creatively, imaginatively embody the love of Jesus for their age and their time in an ever-changing world. Through the 60s and 70s, they swelled with growth and strength and mission. And then the world continued to change. And the challenges that faced that congregation were met with a courage to attempt everything possible to be the body. And yet when they lost members, and their attendance began to decline, they came to a, a harsh reality. That something was changing that they could not stop. And they gathered all of the courage that they could muster. And toward the end of the 80s and the early part of the 90s, in 1991, the church voted. They voted and made a decision that would change the trajectory of their future. They had a choice. They could stay where they were and choose to die, to disband, to close their doors forever, or they could choose to live, to revive in whatever way the Lord would resurrect them, and they voted to live. And in 1993, Johns Creek Baptist Church opened its doors for the very first time to worship. And over the course of these many years, the, the Johns Creek Baptist Church, JCBC, has attempted at every turn to embody the same power of God's love through Jesus Christ for our community in an ever-changing world. And on October the 20th, 2013, after worship, our entire congregation gathered outside on the property where 20 years prior a group of faithful members of the First Baptist Church of Shambly had circled up and prayed over the possibility of reviving, over the possibility of living again on this cow pasture with nothing in sight. And on that day, we gathered our whole congregation and we circled again in prayer, only this time. We circled and faced outward as a visible demonstration that, God, we are, we are willing to do whatever it takes to be the presence of Christ for the community around us. And we had our children that day toll this bell as a, as a chime to remind us to reverberate within our souls this call that is never ending, which is this, we will do whatever it takes to be the body of Christ, no matter what the challenge. So in 2016, together, we once again rang the toll of our congregational courage by expanding how we worship into a multi-venue uh, arrangement so that we might meet the needs of those we were not already meeting. See, 
something you don't know about this bell is it sits here in this, in this rotunda across from our library, and when we are typically in session, and before pandemic, your pastor has a kind of routine. I have a kind of path that I, I, I walk on Sunday mornings. I'll try to go down and say hi to the children, the workers there. I'll make my way through the senior adult hallway, and through the third floor, and through the children's area, or the, the youth area. And as I do, when I pass by this bell every Sunday, without exception, I just kind of wrap it with my knuckles or my keys. Just if only for a moment, I might be able to feel the vibration of this congregation's courage still calling me and you to remember. Because if we remember where we've come from, if we remember the challenges that we have already by faith overcome, there is nothing that we face today that we cannot overcome together. See, when, when we remember, it triggers something. It, it rings a bell in the soul right? that allows us the possibility to revive. And every time I hear this bell ring, it reminds me that down deep in the very DNA of JCBC is one other strength that allows reviving to take place. We have always been willing to reform. Before the birth of our Lord, there was this philosopher by the name of Heraclitus. Heraclitus was known as the philosopher of change. He's the one who said that change is the only constant. Well, Heraclitus said that it's not possible for a person to step into the same river twice. Because the second time you put your foot into the river, well, the river has changed and the person has changed. Not a bad way to think about the constant of change that is always happening. But one of his students actually came along and challenged him. One of his students said, yeah, Heraclitus, it's, it's not just impossible to step into the same river twice. You can't even step into the same river once. Because as soon as you put your, your foot into the river, the rock and the dirt, the silt begin to shift. And by the time you take your foot out, it's already a different river and you're already a different person. You know, when the church is at its best, we remember this. And we remember that the world in which we are living is constantly changing. Just as soon as we become familiar with it and comfortable with it, there is a shift that requires us to, to shift with it. 
That's why it's been said before that one of the phrases that describes the true identity of the church is semper reformanda, always changing. So the church has always been changing. I mean, from the very first century, when those first preachers, the women who proclaimed from the tomb that he is not here, that he is alive, from that moment forward, in this ever-changing world, the church of Christ has faced moments when they had to, to reform. So that in each and every age, whole new generations may be able to discover the aliveness of Christ that is available to all people. And why is this so? Because it really boils down to to what we believe about the resurrection. I mean, was Christ only raised once that first Easter? And from that point forward, it's only a story that we rehash, retell, rework from year to year? Or do we actually truly literally believe in the living, breathing, resurrected Christ? Because if we really believe in resurrection, then then we have to believe that in every age, the living Christ is attempting to be raised up within the consciousness of every new generation to meet Him, to embrace Him, to be made alive by Him. The church of Christ in every age, beset by change but spirit-led, must claim and test its heritage and keep on rising from the dead. Why is all this important? Why does it even matter that we try to run the tape back? Why does it matter that we try to reform or remember where we've been so that we may revive? Because we are facing challenges right now, the likes of which none of us who are living have ever seen. The challenges facing the church of Christ today at times seem insurmountable. I mean, even before the pandemic, we recognized that there were well, in every realm of the American church, decline. There, there was decline and, and, and disengagement, disenfranchisement. We live, like we've said, in this post-Christian era where all the old authorities and confidences have not only been called into question, but have been dismantling before us, unraveling right before our eyes. And you throw a pandemic on top of that, and it raises the question, how? Shall these bones live again? And yet, call me crazy, but I have never been more hopeful for the future of the church of Christ because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name the Christ of God is attempting to be raised even here among us at JCBC will we know exactly what the post-pandemic church experience looks like and feels like no but we call that faith for we walk by faith not by sight see In order for there to be true reviving, it depends on our capacity to remember where we've been. But not only do we remember where we've been, we remember that we overcame where we've been because of our willingness to reform where we are. But to truly revive, 
it also requires one more thing. And this thing is required of each and every part of this body of Christ. It requires resolve. principles of Baptist peoples, one of the core convictions of who we are as a congregation is that every church and each congregation will rise and fall depending on the individual resolve of its members. That's each and every person within the congregation resolving, choosing, setting their minds upon, going where Jesus would call them to go doing what Jesus calls them to do, loving who Jesus calls us to love, no matter where we are and despite whatever circumstances seem to challenge who we are or where we've been or where we're going. Yeah. And no pandemic has the, has the capacity to undo what Christ has done in us. It's been this way throughout the ages. Saints of old, we, we, we used to refer to them as the, the communion of saints. Those forebearers, those foremothers and forefathers in the faith who have charted the way, who have lived and sacrificed and even given their lives for the sake of this call. Yeah, that's how you revive. You, you, you revive by remembering where we've been, by, by reforming where you are and by resolving to do whatever it must take. Whether we're meeting in person or not, whether we have access to the programs that have shaped us and the ministry tools that we've had at our disposal for years, whether that comes or goes, the resolve is that the Christ who is in you and the Christ who is in me, well, He's calling us to do and to be the very same thing that He has always been calling us to do and to be throughout the ages. In the New Testament uh, Scripture, uh, the, the, the book of Hebrews, there's a, a powerful line that describes being surrounded by this, this witness, this communion of saints who have gone before. In chapter 12, it reads, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run and run with perseverance the race that is set before us. <laughs> let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Can you hear the echo of the ancients in this great cloud of witnesses who have gone on before saying this is how it's always been? There have always been moments when it calls up a courage to confront the conflict. It calls up a kind of congregational courage to confront the crisis. This church, your church, my church, we have a history 
of rising up, remembering where we've been, being willing to reform, but it always depends on you and me and each one of us resolving to let the power of Christ dwell within us. This is the way to revive. The heart of the New Testament is sacrifice and work and struggle. The heart of the New Testament is dedication and commitment. The heart of the New Testament is not to find your way somehow halfway in and halfway out. We stand on the shoulders of people who have gone before us. If we stand on those shoulders, whether it be the Apostle Paul, whether it be Chrysostom, the great preacher of the third century, whether it be Augustine, whether it be Luther, whether it be Smith or Helmus or any of our forefathers, we stand on their shoulders. And they didn't get where they got. They didn't give us the faith that had been hammered out in, in some kind of trendy idea. They got their faith on their knees and from the Scripture and from the commitment to the family of faith. This commitment is more than our commitment to our social group or our country clubs. This commitment is to heaven. This morning as we worship, We're not alone. We're not alone. For if you look up there, they're the battlements of heaven. We're a part of a heavenly surrounded group today. There they are.